Welcome to the Ag Culture Podcast, where we cultivate tomorrow by inspiring agripreneurs and ag innovators through real life global perspectives in agriculture. I'm Paul Windemuller, your host on this journey of exploration and growth. On today's episode, we're going to continue our conversation that we had last time with Robbie Custer from Green Coffee Company and the Legacy Group. Um, this episode is going to focus more on the people side of the business, uh, their employee management, um, as well as their influence in the local communities that they operate, and then wrap up with a look at their unique business structure that you don't see a lot in agriculture. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And as always, please like and subscribe to our channel and enjoy the conversation with Robbie. Switching gears a little bit, I want to uh, bring up the the team of people at Green Coffee Company. I've uh, had the opportunity to speak to a few on the leadership team, hear some of them speak at different events and and on different webinars. I'm very impressed by the caliber of people. Um, How do you put together a team like that? And and if you want to talk a little bit more about um, the the team you have, uh, where they came from, uh, how many people you're currently employing and go there? I'll take each one of those. Uh, on the At the company, we have about 400 employees, right? Those are 400 full-time employees uh, with full um, uh, health insurance, uh, pensions, bank accounts, the, the whole nine yards there. Uh, we also will employ an additional between 1,000 and 1,600 part-time workers uh, who will come and, and pick the coffee uh, on the farms. Uh, they they also you know they also have um, you know health insurance and and other protections and and good working conditions. And well, why do I bring that up? Is because that is extremely uncommon in the coffee industry. We're some of the only people that that register all of our employees and that formally employ all of our employees, even the part time workers. Uh, it's it's been a huge, really important step for us as we as we look to modernize uh, the coffee sector. Um, in terms of the the management team, you know we've built the management team over over a long time, um, and and these are these are the best of the best. I, I referenced our agronomist before. You know he's worked throughout. Co- you know he's worked for decades in the coffee industry. He was previously in Costa Rica. He learned about uh, GCC and what we were doing, um, and he and he reached out to us and, and wanted to work with us. And, and it was good timing for us because we were looking for, for a new agronomist, you know, so we're really happy to have him on board. Um, you know, I was personally a part of, of bringing uh, Boris Wilner on, our, our president. Uh, and the story that always comes to mind with him is that, you know, I went out to the farms on a number of occasions with, with, different, um, uh, with different candidates. Uh, one of the farms that we visited was... Uh, you know, we earlier on, we were having, a, you know, a number of issues and in, in really like bringing everything together and, and building this company. Um, and, and I remember, you know, we took two of our candidates, Boris and, and another to, to this farm, where there's a lot of trash outside behind one of the worker housing. Um, and one of the candidates said, you know, he was looking at this big pile of trash and was like, what's going on here? You know, talking to the farm manager, like what's going on here? You got to discipline your employees. You have to make sure that they know 
um, uh, that this this you know this area matters, and that that you know they need to to yeah be be, be mindful of everything going on, and and uh, you know it was more focused on the discipline aspect. And then this at the same spot, uh, Boris walks up and looks out and says, "Why don't you put a trash can here?" And that that like difference in in thought process of you know not looking at something and 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 blaming others, but looking at something and and trying to find a solution. Um, be practical. That was a very, yeah, a very practical solution. Just put a trash can here and then the trash is going to end up in the trash can, right? So that sort of practicality, that mindset um, was really beneficial. You know, that that was, we saw that in Boris. Um, he comes, as I mentioned earlier, he's an agro-industrial engineer by trade. Uh, he came from the flower industry um, and uh, had, a, had a long career in the flower industry. Um, our, our CFO, Leonardo, has worked in, you know, large multinational companies based in, um, based in Latin America, uh, and he's been instrumental in uh, really stepping up a lot of the back-end systems, the ERP system, which are really necessary for, for a company, and, and all the, you know, audited financial statements and everything else you would need um, as, we, as we grow the business. You know, our, our hope eventually is to IPO. In order to IPO, you need to have really good um, backend systems, uh, to make yep. sure all of that works. I think, you know, in general, the team that we've built out is, is, uh, um, it's been over a long period of time. We've, we've found the best, uh, people and, you know, something that Cole, um, and Adam, who are the, the two, uh, partners at legacy group and, yep. and, um, uh, on the board at GCC have really impressed on the leadership team is that, um, you know, they demand results and they demand that, that the team works really hard and, uh, um, you know, solve solutions in real time. You know, we, we, one thing we really hate is to be reactive to problems as they come up. You know, the, the goal is always to be proactive. And, and if people are not proactive in dealing with problems and raising their hand and saying, I have a problem, we got to solve this, um, you know, they're not going to last long at the company, you know, so, th- so there's, there's a really uh, intense focus on, on results and on delivering value and on constantly looking for ways to make the company better. Um, and so it's been a process to build out the team, but it's, it's really been, um, it's been amazing. We're really happy with the team that we have now. Uh, I'll say one more thing on that. Like the, the, the newest hire we have, um, Ted Skodal, who is, uh, going to be, he's the chief revenue officer for us. Um, and, and really in charge of, of kickstarting our roasted coffee sales in the U S he was the head of sales and marketing at Intelligentsia, which is one of the largest, um, uh, 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 specialty coffee roasters in the U.S. Uh, you know, with over 100 million in annual sales. Um, so we're really looking forward to having him on the team uh, to help uh, launch more more aggressively our roasted coffee business in the U.S. How do you attract uh, people of that caliber? What do you think really brought him to Green Coffee Company? You know, I, I think in Colombia, the the big thing for us has been you know how can we make this industry better and how can we invest in an industry that has not been invested in? And um, the, the people that we've been able to recruit see the passion in our team and, and uh, see what we're trying to do at every stage of production and every stage of, of selling the coffee. You know, so, so for us, um, just by explaining what we're trying to do, by bringing them out to the farms, by showing them the facilities versus what is typical uh, in um, Colombia, it's been they people just get excited. I mean, you know, whether whether it's uh, whether it's the management team or or investors that come out and and, and visit, it's 
it's hard not to get excited. I mean, it's why even at even when GCC was just an idea, I I got hooked on on what we're doing. Um, and so I, I think that's one way we we attract people. Um, another way is just you know making sure this is true for all companies, making sure your compensation structures are set up in a way that that incentivize um, these high growth, high highly focused um, professionals uh, are incentivized to to succeed. And so. Um, you know, that's always been, been a factor in, in the growth of the business. Um, well, you guys must have done a good job at that. Cause I know, um, to, for a lot of these people, they didn't, obviously most of them didn't come from Columbia and, uh, to attract, uh, talent from, um, you know, cushy areas of the world where they might've come from to, to, uh, an area like Medellin. It's, it's very beautiful. I've seen a lot of pictures. It's very beautiful, but it's definitely, uh, probably a little different than a lot of them, uh, were used to uh, living in. So, to bring that group of people together in a, in a place like that, they definitely definitely see something there that uh, attracted them. So that's pretty cool to see. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's. It, I mean, you know, it's it's a lot of our senior staff is is from Columbia itself. So so you know, they're um, a lot of them are used to operating in this in this climate. Okay. But you do have to you do have to sort out people who are not going to perform at an international level. Uh, so that that's a big part of the process when you're when you're sourcing local Colombian talent. Uh, and then on top of that, when you're, yeah, when you're bringing in people uh, from, from elsewhere, but, you know, I think they see the value, they see the entrepreneurial spirit uh, of the company and, um, you know, the, the opportunity that, that exists to, to really make a difference uh, in this sector. One, uh, maybe a controversial topic that I wanted to bring up. Um, so I, I read a book uh, a number of years back now, I've actually read it three times. It's called The Banana Man. Um, I, I think that's what it, the title was. It's about uh, Samuel Zamuri, who started, who was um, kind of uh, one of the pioneers in the banana sector back in the early 1900s, so early 20th century, uh, and then eventually took over the United Fruit Company. Um, people in Central America probably uh, don't have very good feelings about the United Fruit Company and that whole era of you know the early 1900s. Uh, you read about you know what. Uh, the, the robber barons, you know, quote unquote robber barons in the U.S. at that time. It was very similar to that in Central America with uh, with uh, sugarcane production, banana production, those type of crops. Um, and they basically came in there and took over and uh, kind of ran the country like they owned the place. And, and they just didn't create a good name for themselves, didn't really help out the local uh, population that was there. I, I know you guys are very, very different in what you're doing. Um, there's because you're getting the publicity about those things in a good way uh, that you're really helping out the communities and, and doing some very innovative things like you already talked about with your employees, uh, providing a lot of benefits that are unheard of in the industry in Colombia. Yeah. Um, what what are your feelings? Uh, what's your perspective, I guess, on the approach that you guys are taking with Green Coffee Company? in that realm of things and what changes have you seen in the communities? Has there been all positive feedback? Has there been some negative? What was that around? Sure. I mean, you know, I think from a personal level, uh, no, no one on the management team would, would ever want to operate in, in, in that sort of way. Right. You know, <laughs> right. That, that's just on a personal <laughs> level. Uh, and you know, for us building this business, that's going to last a really long time and, and is, uh, you know, really making a difference. Uh, for us, that's really important on a personal level. Um, 
but you know, now I'm just going to take it from like a straight capitalistic standpoint, right? Coffee, unlike bananas and sugarcane and, and other of these pro- palm oil, for example, right? No one knows and no one cares, honestly, about where these products come from in the market, right? So, so you know, if you're a banana company, a lot of the time you can get away with, with being a horrible actor because uh, no one is really paying attention. They're going to go, they're going to grab the bananas and walk out of the store. I mean, this is true with, with all sorts of industries. You know, so, you know, one of the unique things about coffee is that people really care a lot about uh, the farmer and about where their coffee is coming from uh, in a way that would make operating in that sort of way extremely uh, financially <laughs> irresponsible. Um, you know, you're not going to be able to sell your coffee at, uh, um, at a good price. You know, one of the producer, one of the largest producers in Colombia, you know, we're the largest producer in Colombia. One of the one of the largest producers in Colombia right now uh, is in really hot water because it turns out that they deforested huge portions of their farmland over the past few years. Europe is coming out with all of these new regulations that are that are basically mandating you cannot sell to us uh, if you've deforested a lot of your land. Um, so they're really screwed. I mean, you know, when it, when it comes to uh, like coffee, uh, cacao in some ways it's it's growing or cocoa, excuse me, is growing in some ways. Um, uh, in, in the same direction, but you, you just can't operate that way. Uh, on, on top of that, when you, when you think of like your positioning locally, right, that, that's, that's what the consumer is going to think. Right. When you're thinking of your position locally, uh, you know, for us having a really good relationship with the town is, is fundamental. You're operating in these rural areas, um, that, uh, you know, are difficult to get to. Um, they, they, can have quite a bit of poverty, right? You know, you need to have the locals on your side to defend you in, uh, you know, not physically, but to, like to defend you in, in like a meaningful way uh, when when people are speaking ill of, of the company. Um, so so for us, it's not an option not to operate in a way that, uh, that benefits these local communities. Um, so, you know, we like formally employing all of our workers, being, having a really good relationship with the mayor, whatever political party he is, or she is uh, having, you know, a good relationship with, with everyone, with all of our stakeholders is, is like fundamental to, um, you know, people paying us on time, people showing up to work, you know, like I said, we need between a 1000 and 1600 pickers to come out and pick the coffee on our farms. How do we attract those people to come? You know, it's like, these are often migratory workers who will move through the country uh, to, to pick uh, coffee, they'll follow the harvest cycle you need to pay them well, you need to provide them good housing that has Wi-Fi, you know, and other things so that they can contact their families. Like, it, it's not an option not to do these things. Uh, and then from a liability perspective, you know, Colombia, as I, as I mentioned earlier, has become more and more of a sophisticated economy. And as that happens, they're starting to crack down more and more on people who are not formally employing their workers, um, you know, who are not paying into the pension programs and other things like that. We have to do all of those things uh, in order to be, um, in order to really build a business that's sustainable. Um, you know, one of the things that's, you know, this is more of a feel good thing that we're doing, but, but you know, to attract the best talent, we had, I think, eight uh, of our workers uh, w- who are working uh, at night and on the weekend uh, just graduated high school. They just got their, their uh, high school uh, diploma. Um, and we have, I think, like 30 of our workers who never graduated high school in, in these night classes and weekend classes. Others are taking English. You know, that's important for us because we need them to be able to communicate with our, you know, more and more international team. I mean, 
so for us, you know, long story short, it's it's important to us morally, but also like <laughs> on a capitalistic perspective, we cannot operate uh, like um, you know uh, farmers typically operated in yeah in the nineteen ninety excuse me in the early nineteen hundreds where you could sort of do whatever you want and you needed to as they viewed it probably you needed to like uh, act really forcefully in order to consolidate and and you know get bananas to people in the U.S. who like you know wanted bananas. Um, and, and they saw that as the, the best path forward, um, which is, you know, that's, it makes for a good story, but, uh, you know, it probably, I, I can't imagine that guy slept very well at night or maybe he did, maybe he had no conscience. I, I don't know, but you know, I certainly couldn't sleep well at night if, if I was doing that sort of thing. What, uh, you had mentioned 50% of your, uh, tonnage comes from local growers outside of what, uh, green coffee company actually owns. Yeah. Um, how is that? kind of transformed those operations Has it made them better. I, I know you talked about you guys can pay a little bit quicker. You can provide a little bit more stable pricing long-term is what you're hoping for. Um, what other benefits are they seeing and, and have they been pretty receptive to you moving into the areas? So it depends on the region. Um, you know, where, so as, as you know, the coffee process, right. You know, farmers will process their, will pick their cherries in the past, they would process the cherries into parchment um, and then sell that parchment to a local, to like a cooperative or a local uh, buyer. Um, part of this, part of the process, we want to purchase the cherries because mm -hmm. we have this really advanced processing facility and I'm, we have two of them. Um, we want to use that facility. We want to maximize the use of that facility. We don't, we would rather not buy parchment. We would rather um, save a lot more cost and get a lot more quality uh, out of these farmers' cherries than they would. Um, so in some regions where they're not used to selling cherries, there's been a bit of an education process and explaining mm. to them, look, we're, the sticker price is lower, right? Because you're selling us five times the amount of kilos. Right. Uh, but in the end, you're going to make more money. Um, and less, less work for them too. Way less work for you, way less risk, right? You know, yeah. you, if you like slept through an alarm and didn't turn off the dryer or like whatever, you know, it started raining and you left the coffee outside, like, you, you run huge risks of damaging your own product. Um, and so it took, and it's still taking some time for, for that change to happen, for them to start selling us cherries. Selling cherries, by the way, is common around the world. You know, th this is not, again, it's not something that's unique. You know, we're not like, revol you know, reinventing the wheel here. Um, but, but it is in, a different but, business model to what they're absolutely. used to in that lo local area. Absolutely, right. So, so that's been a bit of a process and and then and them starting to trust us, right? You know, you have to build up trust. Uh, that can take years at times, right? To for these people, you know, imagine you've been in, you've been operating in this area for your for generations, right? You own the same plot of land that your grandfather owned, and all of a sudden you see like uh, investment from a bunch of Americans. We're not only American investment, but you know, again, from their perspective, right? right you see a bunch of money coming into this region. You start freaking out about like, you know, like what this means for you, right? You, you're not going to be very trusting of, of, of that, uh, behavior. So, so for us, it's, uh, the, the, there's, you have to build up a meaningful relationship with, with the farmers around us on top of that, you know, we have been looking into a lot of different programs and, and how we're going to, uh, uh, you know, help, uh, with agronomical assistance at the farm level, you know, selling them them the trees in these different bagging systems, right? That's going to be something that we're we're definitely going to roll out. Um, the other big thing 
the traceability programs that we're doing, you know, all of the mapping that we have of our lands, the certifications that we have that give us additional premiums, like the Rainforest Alliance certification. Um, you know, we're in the process of becoming fair trade, getting all of these people into our network, getting their lands mapped, uh, getting all of the traceability data from them. That's really hard for an individual to manage, but easier mm -hmm. on a larger scale. They'll they'll be able to uh, generate additional premiums than they would if they were just selling to a local um, a local buyer. Uh, so, you know, we're looking to be, you know, in some ways like the center of a wheel, right, where we are the ones that are sourcing all of the the, the product from people around us. And we're providing the, the additional radial value to to these different uh, farmers in the forms of, yeah, in the forms of, you know, you can provide uh, loans uh, for farms to be able to actually properly fertilize the land in the way that, that we uh, have adopted from, from the practices that, that we've learned from others. You know, you can, you, you can, you can outsource all of your good practices to others. Uh, and so, so that's, that's what we're working to build up towards, you know, last year, I think we had like 67 farmers this year. I think we had, we had well over 200. I don't remember the oh, exact wow. number. Um, Three X growth. Been, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, and as we expand to other regions, uh, it's going to continue to be a, 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 a part of our, of our production. Um, you know, we will continue to purchase other farms and we'll continue to process our own coffee because it's very important to have control over a good portion of, of production. Um, but this is always going to be something that we're going to do to maximize the use of our facilities um, and to make sure that we can uh, sell coffee uh, to around the, you know, around like f uh, at every point around the year uh, to to. Uh, to our clients. How do you balance that value that you are creating with what amount you're going to, you're going to, uh, give back to the farmer on that, uh, value that's coming back in that wasn't there before versus what you're going to keep as a company. I mean, you've got to get reward for investing in technology and the systems and all that. What's that look like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it's something that, that, uh, we have to balance. Um, you know, I, I think, one of the most important things for us is, is, is providing that consistency to farmers to feel like that they, they are, are being rewarded for um, selling to us and that they can continue to reinvest in their land and, and continue to, to build a better and more resilient farm. Um, so, you know, I don't really have a number for you in terms of like, we're going to split this like 50, 50, right. or we're going to split it 70, 30, or, you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, but I, I think for us, you know, it's important. It's always going to be a dialogue between between the farmer and and between us. Of of you know, we have invested. We've meaningfully invested and meaningfully uh, improved the lives of not only our workers but but you know this this surrounding these surrounding communities. Um, you know what? Where where does the the profit share lie in in that uh, in that realm? You know, I I imagine part of it's going to be. Um, you know, if you lock in pricing, maybe we're taking a bit of a hit when pricing is. Uh, is uh, down the drain, but then we're we're doing a bit better when when pricing is is higher. So you know th there's going to be there's going to be a balance there. I, but you know it's important to note a lot of these farmers still have their own facilities, right? So they mm. they still have some control over if they sell to us or if they don't sell to us. Um, so that keeps us honest in terms of you know th there are a lot of buyers all over the place, right? We're not the only ones. So that keeps us honest as well in terms of you know what. Um, what we, uh, you know, what uh, what we offer to farmers in terms of what we're going to purchase. You know, the price for coffee is posted every day by the National Federation for Coffee Growers in in Colombia. 
So they know what the price is, right? And so we always are going to need to provide a premium uh, above that pricing, depending on quality. So um, that's with that as a transparent piece of information, that's something that we can always, uh, you know, we always need to work off of. Yeah. And, and like you said, they don't have to take on the, the risk of the, the quality differential. Oh, yeah. If they're selling the cherries to you versus yeah. the yeah, it's a, it's a much It's a much uh, easier product to, to sell. Right. Um, and so, you know, a, a lot already see the value in it. You know, some regions that they, they've, they've already gotten used to this. They'll sell to wet mills uh, that are near them. Um, but these wet mills are, are way, you know, they're, they're, they have technology from like the 1950s, right? So, so you know, they, they, they can't offer the same sort of um, value that, that, we, that we can offer. Is the investment in Colombia, um, is that still uh, kind of in its infancy? I mean, you, you're saying all the other wet mills are built, what, 70 years ago? Obviously, there hasn't been a lot of investment in that sector for quite a while. Uh, is it just been starting uh, recently? Is, is that why you're able to, to do what you're doing right now? Or, or has it been around for a while, just, just uh, not in agriculture? So the investment for coffee, so, so a lot of the more advanced facilities have already, you know, been built in Brazil and in Vietnam, you know, where, where, the, where they're dealing with Robusta, which is easier to process. It's, it's easier to manage these, these sort of larger estates. Um, and uh, that's just always, the investment has sort of more arrived to the farm level. In Colombia, partially because of these, the government controls that were put in place, you know, the, the farm, coffee farming in general was just really fragmented. So, you know, you did have large estates uh, from large landholding families. That's, that's typically, that's, those are the, the farms that we own or are farms that were owned by estates. But, but like I said before, 95% of farms in Colombia are these small farms. So the investment that did happen in Colombia happened higher up the value chain at the dry mill. So your, your large exporters and importers like Louis Dreyfus, EDNF Mann, um, other big uh, commodity traders do have more advanced facilities in Colombia, but they're just higher up the value chain. Um, no one really saw the value in uh, consolidating farmland and trying to you know, manage these disparate groups. You know, the investment, the foreign investment that did occur are from these commodity traders that are like, hey, I want a more stable production, so I'm going to build a facility. They're not going to buy these lands. You know, in, in Brazil, on the other hand, Brazil has been a bit more economically developed than Colombia. You know, if you look back a number of decades, they have these much larger estates that are much flatter and much easier to manage. It's easier to be like, all right, cool, I can, you know, drop 50 million and like purchase this farm and build out this facility. So um, part of it, yeah, it's just the sort of the nature of, of how the, the sector has changed in Colombia to where um, it made sense for us to start operating. And, and in some cases, the facilities might be new in, in, in Colombia, or maybe not new, but the technology has just always been the same in terms of how, like, you know, what they, what they have used. It's been, you know, rather manual uh, processes. Um, and when you're, you know, when you're a farmer, you know, even if you're like one of these large estate holders, they might have like 200 acres of farmland. You, you don't, it, that's not enough to, to, to warrant a huge investment in an optical sorter or in like, right. you know, one of these mass massive facilities and all of the R and D we've done in, in like, how can we process our coffee in the best way? You know, we, we don't have the same environment that Brazil does. So, you know, what, what are we going to do differently about, you know, operating 
operating here. You know, we have 10,200 acres. So, uh, you know, we're able to put an investment and make, make investments at that scale, as opposed to, you know, a lot of these farmers that are just much smaller. So speaking of investment, um, what, uh, we, we started out the episode with, um, talking about, uh, you're a part of the legacy group, which is the management company for green coffee company, right? So you want to talk a little bit about that structure, um, of investor relationship and, um, management company, what that looks like. Cause I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners, it's, uh, not a scale that they're used to really, uh, seeing a lot in, in agriculture. Uh, if you want to talk a little bit more about that and then also, uh, you, what you guys have coming up here shortly. Sure. So, so an, an investment in, in, uh, in the green coffee company is an investment in the company, right? So it's, it's a, uh, it's a U.S. uh, holding company, right? So the, the, the investment occurs into, you know, it's a U.S. dollar investment into the Delaware holding company. The, what, what legacy group does as an investment manager is it manages GCC on behalf of investors. Um, so, so, you know, Cole Shepard, Adam Jason and myself, um, really liaison the most with our investors. We bring on new investment. Uh, we present the financial projections, the investor presentations. Um, we work with the management team to make sure that uh, things are still progressing as we have uh, promised for our investors. We, you know, we, Cole and Adam both have seats on the board, right? So they're, they're constantly looking for ways to make sure that we're generating the most value on behalf of investors. But investors are the ones that, that own the vast majority of the business um, and, and legacy group just sort of works to make sure that that investors are, are uh, you know, being properly represented in, in the growth of the business. It'd be really hard for someone, you know, a very, a, someone with a very small percentage ownership to have a sense of what to do and how to manage a, a business. So, so, you know, we, we decided that this structure was the best and making sure that investors are going to get the most value for their investment. Um, and while maintaining, making sure that we're we're operating the business in a way that's going to be going to generate uh, the most long term value, um, so it's been it's been a really productive relationship. Uh, as as you mentioned, we are um, about to to launch a a raise um, at the at about mid January uh, for any accredited investors um, who would like to get involved with us and 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 be part of this story as we grow the business. From you know, we started with six hundred and ten acres. We now have 10,200, um, you know, over 20 million in revenue this year, uh, profitable, you know, so this is a real, you know, it's not like a, a pipe dream. This is a, this is a real business um, that, that has a really exciting future. Um, right now we're projecting, you know, we, we, our goal is to um, IPO uh, in 2026. So it's a shorter term investment in terms of what we're looking to do. You know, we're looking to build out these business lines, uh, roasted coffee in the U.S., um, through through Ted, who's going to you know uh, help build out that 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 business, you know create the best coffee business in Colombia we possibly can, and then build out this byproduct business. Um, and then for us, the way we look at it, an IPO is not the end of the story. An IPO, in some ways, is the start. It's the ability for investors who've been with us a while and anyone else to um, you know even out the position after we we predict you know significant gains. Uh, but then for us, it's a way to continue to raise capital, con- to continue to um, grow the business and uh, create a dominant market position um, in, in Colombia. You know, our hope is to own eventually 10% of Colombian production, which is about 1% of total 
green coffee production uh, in the U.S. Uh, excuse me, in the world. So uh, that's that's sort of where we're going. You know, we'll we'll be raising around fifteen million dollars um, starting in, in mid January for for again for any accredited investors who who'd like to uh, like to get involved. So I'm I'm happy to uh, you know if you if you are interested in um, learning more, I'm, I am I am available to to chat. Yeah, and we'll definitely put that in the show notes. Anyone that uh, that is interested in that can uh, get a hold of you that way. Um, so IPO is an initial public offering, right? So you're you're yep. looking at going to the large uh, open public capital markets rather than just getting investment from accredited accredited investors at that point. Um, why do you believe that uh, you should do that um, down the road? Is that basically just so investors that started early can can uh, realize some of those gains or, or is there more to it than that? No, I mean, for us, you know, more than anything, it's, it's, we believe that public capital markets are going to provide the ability for us to raise the most money, uh, and continue to grow the business and continue to generate value for our investors. So for us, we, we, we see that as, as uh, a key way to, to keep growing the business. Um, you know, public markets, uh, traditionally are, are just, um, we believe that, that, uh, both, you know, individual, like normal individuals, as well as, you know, larger groups like pension funds and others will be able to see the value that we're, we're generating, um, and, uh, you know, put in meaningful capital to, to con- continue to grow this, this dominant, uh, market share. If we exit to, you know, we will, we will take, we, you know, we're going to, we look at every opportunity that comes up, uh, depending, you know, regardless of, of what our plans are, you know, our plans are to IPO. If there is another opportunity to, to exit, we would we would look into it. Um, but you know, we believe that uh, this is going to be the best way for us to to continue to grow the business. We would you know, I, I think what we have seen with with uh, you know larger players that that could potentially you know uh, buy out GCC, it, it we don't think that they would be able to see the same value that that we see in, in what the business is going to do, uh, and we see a, a public. Uh, offering is a much better way to uh, to continue to on that growth trajectory of you know raising real capital. You know we've only raised uh, sixty five. Mil- you know we have raised sixty five million dollars so far. That's a lot of money. Only, yeah. um, but when you when you <laughs> look a lot at, with it though, absolutely. But you know when you look at trying to completely uh, revamp Colombian coffee, it's uh, we want to do a lot more, and we have yeah. huge ambitions to do a lot more uh, and to keep growing the business and not to become a small piece of a large, co- you know, to be a small cog in a large machine that's just trying to, you know, own a little bit of coffee. You know, we're, we're trying to to really build something that matters um, uh, for investors, for the industry, uh, for all of our stakeholders. And like you said, it's you're looking at it long term, which is how you should in an in, in agricultural enterprise, right? Whereas a yeah. lot of those companies that they might be a, a P&G company um, yeah. that would want to buy you out they ne- don't necessarily have the same uh, line of sight that long-term thinking on a on a business like that. So yeah, yeah, trees take trees take time to grow. That's right. <laughs> you know, it's, the, it's not it's not something that you can just uh, yeah. It's this this is a business, and so everything that we've done from the from the from the seed to to the cup has been to build a business that we can all be really proud of and to build a business that's going to be here for, for the long term. Um, I'm probably about halfway through the questions that I had to ask or that I would want to ask you. So um, I'm going to ask you back at some point in the, in the future, probably again. 
Uh, I do have one more question though, before you go, um, that I like to ask most of our guests. Um, so you, you didn't necessarily come from an agricultural background, um, but you are very much immersed in it today. Uh, what, yes, true. <laughs> what uh, advice would you have somebody that's in, you know, just starting in their career, kind of like where you were at when you had the option of going into investment banking and then you kind of pivoted and, and went this direction with, with the Green Coffee Company? Uh, what advice do you have to them? What opportunities do you see in the future in, in the coffee business uh, that you would uh, be excited about talking or sharing? Sure. I mean, you know, I think I'd, I'd sort of split it up into two different types of people. You know, one one would be in the U.S., right, that people who want to stay in the U.S. and, and uh, work in agriculture in the U.S. Um, I, I had the great opportunity to, to work part-time um, at, you know, one of the largest uh, wine companies in the U.S. during my MBA, as well as um, a sustainable agriculture-focused um, private equity and private credit group that invests a lot with farmers. Um, you know, what I see there and what I saw there is that there is a huge generational shift that is happening from large, you know, from, from people who, uh, you know, from older families uh, to, to the younger kids that are um, in need of financing. You know, agriculture is such an exciting and dynamic space, especially as we confront climate change. You know, there is so much good work to be done at the farm level. People really lose track of where their food comes from. I mean, I think it's such an exciting space to be in, whether you're doing ag tech, you know, you're, you're uh, helping, you know, farmers in, in a whole host of ways. Um, you know, I, I love going out to the farms and actually seeing what we're producing and, and seeing the value that's being generated, right? I can go out and I can see the coffee that's growing on the trees and being like, this is, this is what's making money as opposed to, you know, where you're working always, you know, I work a lot behind a desk, but when you're, when you're only working behind a desk, you don't act, you can lose sight of, you know, making something. And, and I love the, the aspect of making something. Um, and how much hard work goes into making something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, in the U.S., when it comes to agriculture, there's there's this huge generational change that's happening. Um, we need to build technologies and uh, actually work with farmers, not just sort of throw technologies at them. You need to actually go and spend time with farmers and figure out what they're what they're struggling with, and and uh, you know, make something that's uh, that's going to be useful for for everyone in 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 a supply chain. So I think there's immense opportunities there, whether you're starting your own farm, that's going to source locally to like your, you know, your local town or, or, or working at one of the larger um, groups in, in the U S that's, that's, uh, you know, supporting farmers in other ways. Um, I, I think when it comes to coffee, uh, it's, it's just such a dynamic product. Um, I, I would recommend, you know, like the more you, the more research you do about it, the more you see how many hands it touches. Um, yeah. and, and I just can't help but get passionate about and inspired by the, the, this, this drink we, we consume every day. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy to see how many, how hard it is to make. Um, and you know, the opportunities that are present, you know, I think, there, there are, you know, there's plenty of, of roasters and, and that sort of thing that, that just deals with this final end product. Um, but there's tons of innovation happening in coffee, um, you know, tons of uh, startups that are trying to use different portions of the coffee cherry to make products. You know, one of, I, I talk a lot with startups that are trying to make 
interesting products with coffee cherries. Uh, one of them is out of the Netherlands. One of them is uh, in the U.S. You know, they're trying to make real products um, that that consumers will like. And so, you know, I would encourage if that's something of interest, creating value from trash. I mean, that that's an exciting, really exciting future for uh, for coffee. Is is how do we monetize this? You know, a, a lot of other products have been monetized. Coffee is just not yet. Um, right. And so, you can be at the forefront of of bringing additional value to something that was trash. That's where I'd recommend you look. Awesome. Well, those are some great suggestions. And Robbie, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Uh, where can people find out more about you and about Green Coffee Company? Yeah, no, Paul, thank, thank you so much for having me. Um, you can find out more about, uh, about Legacy Group and the work we do at our LinkedIn. Um, if you just you know Google Legacy Group Columbia, we'll, we'll come right up. Um, you know, my, my email is robbyk dot K at legacy dash group.co. You could reach out to me directly. Um, green coffee company. If you, again, if you just Google green coffee company, it'll, it'll pop right up. Um, if you, if you want to reach out to them, um, we have a very basic right now, roasted coffee, um, sales channel that you can, you can purchase coffee at that comes directly from our farms. Uh, it's called Abira. So A-B-I-R-A uh, coffee.com. Um, yeah, those are some places you can, you can look and, and, and find us. So I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions or, uh, you know, if you're interested in investing or, or working with us, I'm, I'm available. Robbie Custer, thank you very much. Thanks very much, Paul. Well, that was a fascinating conversation with Robbie Custer from Green Coffee Company. I know I really enjoyed doing it. And I hope you take the time to connect with Robbie. If you look in the show notes, you should find uh, all the information there to do so. I would love to personally hear from you. So if you could connect with us on social media or you can find in the show notes uh, our email address to connect with us, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the episode and how we're doing on the show. So please reach out and I'd love to hear from you. As always, please like and subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, I'm Paul Windemuller from Ag Culture Podcasts.